You're listening to the Inbound Logistics Podcast with today's guest, Brian Burke, VP of Marketing for Seco Logistics. E-commerce has changed the way consumers shop and put a completely new spin on retail. To differentiate themselves in an ever-competitive market, retailers have chosen to focus on making the returns process faster and easier for consumers. But is it working? Inbound Logistics publisher Keith Biondo sits down with Brian Burke of Seco Logistics to talk about the new retail landscape and how to have many happy returns. We've been writing a lot of content, uh, Brian, with respect to our readers' desires on returns, specifically retail returns, and then e-commerce returns. So to set the table, what I'd like to do is to have you give us an update on what retailers are doing return-wise. I know there's a lot of transition because they're morphing from pure bricks to a combination of bricks and e-commerce, and that complicates the returns process. But before we get to that e-commerce portion of it, I thought I'd get your input on, on uh, what's going on with pure play retailers and how they're handling returns these days. Sure. Uh, you know, retailers today that we're talking to are all in flux. It's as if the e-commerce revolution is happening all over again. Um, when e-commerce kind of first came about, it was a struggle for retailers to develop their websites figure out their digital strategy, uh, but then ultimately on the supply chain side, how do you use that uh, DC that you've invested in and now all of a sudden create new processes for these new channels, which are absolutely completely different. I mean, the retail compliance requirements to delivering into retailers' DCs is much different than, you know, fulfilling individual orders um, and shipping them out to individual consumers. So um, that's, that was the revolution of the past. Now, retailers are all struggling to figure out uh, how do we keep foot traffic coming through their doors? And how do we leverage the inventory within their physical environments? Uh, how do we integrate their point-of-sale system with their WMS system? This is part of the, the revolution that's happening now. And returns are, are a big piece of that because, you know, one of the reasons why you're seeing e-commerce and e-retailers um, acquire bricks-and-mortar infrastructure is because that in and of itself, the, the value and the benefit there is you, you create overnight a returns infrastructure. The returns are all about convenience. Uh, returns are a necessary part of the business, uh, and the returns ratios are much different depending on the commodities that you sell, of course. Fashion apparel is probably the highest, and then and, you know it goes down, down from there, but it exists in every single facet of the retail world. Uh, so it's, it's all about convenience. So if you can create uh, experiences where, where, you know, when you come to a store, and there is no line. You know, there's a separate line for returns. You're ha- handled and managed as if you were a, a client or a customer. And retailers are figuring out that they can make the returns policies much more consumer friendly without breaking the bank. Well, that's what the question that I am asked, obviously, by our readers who are interested in this. Is there a war between CX and cost in that <clears throat> regard? Uh, there is. That's a good question because. There's that famous retailer, I won't mention the name, up in the Northeast, you know, and 
their famous returns policy was. You mean LL Bean? Yes. yes. <laughs> right. Uh, and they and they just they just updated their returns right. policy, if I if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you can no longer return that uh, pullover my, uh, from yeah, right, for 15 pl- years yeah, ago, right? right? Uh, uh, so you know that's probably one extreme. Well, I think that was uh, people going to garage sales, buying up LL Bean stuff, and then returning it yes. as if they had bought it. That was part <laughs> of a problem there. But but I get your point. The motivation to make uh, it more experiential, uh, to keep the customer involved with the brand, is, is extremely important, but it takes cost, mm-hmm. in some cases, off the scale. Absolutely. And a lot of retailers are, are figuring out that, you know, cash is what, you know, affects them the most. And so if they can introduce instead store credit. So so make the barrier or the threshold to return items lower, um, but, but create incentives um, to stay in the store to purchase other items in the store and then ultimately, you know, hopefully walk out not only a happy customer, but a higher paying customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, they're in your store, that's a win mm-hmm. right there. And mm-hmm. so you, retailers are learning that they're, they're, they should treat this as a win because now not only are they in their store and they're going to spend some more money, um, they're also in their warehouse. So they're close to all the inventory right there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there's instant gratification from uh, purchasing items and taking them home. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that because when I go to Cabela's, it, it is an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want 90% of the stuff that's in there, but because it's an experience, I end up buying uh, some of that. But I've never really returned uh, stuff at, at Cabela's. So uh, what in, in terms of the uh, retailers, some retailers recently got dinged, H&M, Walmart, and others, for hole-punching some of their return items uh, or items that they could not sell. What part of the challenge there is, I guess, soluble by a logistics partner? That's a great question because, you know, this especially comes into play when uh, we're working with retailers on uh, international expansion uh, because as soon as you uh, want to open up your website and translate it into other languages and figure out how to sell into the U.K. and to Australia, you know, you have to then think about how am I going to get this stuff back? Um, so there's a whole definition of disposition that we call, right? So if an item is returned, um, what are the checkpoints to decide if the item is salvageable, resellable, um, disposable, or needs to be shipped back to a DC? That happens everywhere, whether it's within a retailer's environment or whether it's with their outsourced partners. Now, leveraging uh, outsourced 3PLs to assist with that process is becoming more and more valuable to retailers because um, with newer regulations, especially in Europe as it relates to things like batteries and electronics, it's moving beyond the core of what the retailer does. And so, you know, the traditional kind of business insight is if it's not your core business, outsource it, right? So you can focus just on your core business. Uh, And I think the more complex the process is for retailers, the more they should look at outsourcing that entire function uh, so it becomes a transactional and manageable uh, variable cost uh, as a percentage of their sales as they go up or down. So you brought Europe up. uh, Recently, Burberry's uh, was dinged in the press for destroying $38 million worth of uh, goods just so far in 2018. And I think, if I'm correct, over the past five years, it's north of $400 million worth of goods. Now, they're doing that to protect the brand. Absolutely. uh, And to keep, uh, I guess, some of this high-end merchandise to go into distribution channels. But other retailers don't have that uh, high-end of a brand. 
how are how are they disposing of things or capturing value from returns other than just burning them, I guess? <laughs> well, um, you know, they're, they're not alone, uh, and it's not just returns. It's items that, uh, that just did not sell, uh, styles that did not sell, SKUs that did not sell, um, and we live in a very uh, fast fashion environment now. Um, there's no longer the spring season and the fall season. Their seasons start every two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go into a lot of these fast fashion retail outlets and stores today, uh, two weeks from now, you're going to see entirely different SKUs. Um, that creates in and of itself its own supply chain challenges. But as you're alluding to, you know, Burberry is not alone. Um, it, it, it's across the entire industry. Uh, but it's it's mostly a, the problem of the counterfeiting. That it's they're biggest and most successful weapon at fighting um, the, this this counterfeiting that's going How on. How so? I don't get it. So, if, if I have a real good, and I know it's a real good, mm-hmm. because you can tell if you're uh, a savvy shopper, although they're getting very good with the counterfeits, how does destroying something that's uh, obviously real assist with the counterfeiting? Well, I, I should say, uh, when I say counterfeiting, I'm also including theft in that category. Okay, I got so, you. So, um, so yeah. basically... If they didn't destroy it, it would be recaptured somewhere along the disposal chain and then resold. I mean, cargo theft is is something that, uh, um, you know, is not as spoken about as much. Uh, It's, uh, I don't want to say it's uh, in the same category as returns, but because people do talk openly about returns, you write a lot about returns, and it's become, uh, it's a big part of every, every retailer supply chains, but... Um, but theft is is such an issue, and uh, and it happens so much uh, on, on such a small scale, and it happens often enough at a large scale um, that you know the savvy uh, uh, so chief supply chain officers do have plans for this. They have uh, you know uh, uh, strategies in outsourcing their fulfillment with partners that have a certain threshold of security. Uh, because it is it, it is a known entity. Now it's not as high of a ratio as, as the returns ratio, right? Uh, but at least you are recapturing some of the inventory in that process. But um, it, it's it, it hasn't gone away, uh, and in fact, in many cases, it's gone up because as business increases overseas, um, you know, you're selling more in other countries. Um, they have different standards and protocols, and you know, it's. Uh, but he, even here in the U.S., you know. Uh, uh, it, it, it's it's something that happens every day. So that's a good topic for us to uh, to explore uh, another time. Uh, supply chain leakage in, in the returns uh, mm-hmm. chain. That's that's interesting. So uh, we've set the table on the retail side. Let's shift gears to e-commerce returns. So uh, a survey survey says of uh, my extended family uh, that they bracket buy. They bracket buy for size. They bracket mm-hmm. buy for style. You know, do I like this color or do I not like this color? I can't make up my mind at that uh, particular moment. Uh, And so the uh, immediacy of remorse after you get it is is amplified. Uh, You're in a store, you're spending more time with the item and so on. Online, obviously, you don't see it, you can't try it on, you don't know the quality. Uh, Sizing is different in in, uh, certain brands and so on. So it amplifies the uh, the reverse logistics uh, challenge for e-commerce. So maybe you could uh, share some of the experiences that you've uh, heard from your uh, customers and affiliates uh, about the, the e-commerce challenge in, in terms of returns. 
Sure. Uh, this is this is actually critical, and it become it, it can either become a weight that drags you down and drags your sales down, or it can become part of your value proposition and become it can become part of the experience. So what I what I mean by that is, it's still about convenience, whether it's in the retail store or whether it's e-commerce. It's about convenience, and so the more hurdles you create, you know, for for a consumer in order to return an item that was purchased online the less likely they are going to be to return and, and buy another item from you, um, which can be incredibly disastrous when, it, when you look at how can you grow, because the, the best way you can grow is repeat sales from existing customers. But, but how can you quantify that uh, brand identification based on that? I mean, is there a formula? Well, I mean, aren't you just kind of going by the seat of your pants? Well, I do know that uh, according to a recent study that was published, somewhere close to 80% of consumers will likely purchase an item from a retailer again online uh, if the returns experience whether they use it or not is easy because there are retailers that actually market their returns policy mm -hmm. uh, because if you know it'll be easy to return you'll be more likely to buy and you'll be more likely to recommend that retailer and so that absolutely can and is being quantified by retailers and why you are seeing a shift in not only policies, but most importantly for this conversation, procedures. So, you know, when you ship out an item, do you include the return label in the order? That is a function of logistics that has to occur. That's a decision and an integration with your WMS, with your OMS, that this is a function of the items that have to go out. Um, additionally, you know, what is that return label? Is it a UPS label or is it a USPS label? You know. Because that, that it does have uh, implications because now you're telling the consumer either they have to go down to their local UPS or FedEx shop or DHL even, or the post office comes to your door every day. Which one is more convenient for consumers? Uh, so th there are a lot of, I guess, changing requirements um, in today's landscape because consumer behavior and consumer demand changes so fast. Now that the U.S. Postal Service, instead of thinking about delivering only two days a week, you know, as, as it was previously discussed, um, because of e-commerce, e-commerce has really saved them. Saved the Postal Service, it right? saved the Postal Service. So now you're seeing um, deliveries not only six days a week, in some cases oh, seven. We get them seven days a week. Absolutely. Right. And then not only seven days a week, but multiple times a day. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't know if you've seen that. I, when, I, I moved recently in, into a, a new building in, in Chicago, and uh, I was in the lobby of the building. And uh, there's and a little warehouse in the lobby, isn't there? It, it, <laughs> it has become a forward stocking location. I'm not joking. And 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 the lady that was working the door, she was uh, she was just exacerbated because the post office just came by, dropped some more packages off, and it was a Sunday. And when after they after the post uh, postman left, she said that's the third time he's been here, wow. or they've been here. She said they because. It was implying that it wasn't the same driver, right? Which you know I think is is, is interesting. So now you have you, the post office coming by all the time, all the time, all the time. Um, you know, and, and of course it depends on the size of your item. You know, because right. if you are ordering something larger and bulkier, um, you know, UPS or FedEx does become more interesting. But then what happens when you order a ping pong table and, right. and it's not the right color? You know, you don't realize it until you open it up. And then how do you return a ping pong table? You know, and that's where you know we 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 actually offer and service this bulky home delivery experience. So, um, one of the things that we do when we deliver these items, 
um, is we actually have something we've called the Save the Sale program. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, these are often purchases of $1,000 or more. Uh, so many times signature is required. Uh, so we have to set an appointment, you know, and they have to set an appointment for us to come by and, and deliver the item. Um, now, this always happens, or not always, but it happens often enough that uh, this, this program was launched. You have to have a policy, that, right? You have program. to have a policy and a program. And the Save the Sale program is the boxes are, are, not, are not built, and packaging today is still not catering to... E-commerce right. or returns right. uh, supply chain. It's still built for shelves um, and racking, whacking in warehouses and shelves on stores. It's not built for this kind of one-hour transportation and forth, right. back and forth. So even on the forward transportation uh, shipment, you can have some damage on the. Well, exterior. We actually experienced that, uh, and uh, it was a larger item. It was not that expensive, and the e-commerce retailer said, "We'll ship you another one. What do you do with this?" They said, "Donate it." They didn't even want to deal with the reverse supply chain. See, and that that is problematic for the retailer because mm -hmm. uh, they they did make a decision, and in in some cases you could say it was the right one because yes, in order to get that item all the way back into the supply, it cost chain, them more than what they paid for it. Exactly. So what we do with the save the sale program is, if there's any hint at damage on the exterior, we will stop. We will. Uh, wait at the door. We will let them and help them take the the item out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, okay, the box may have been damaged, but is the item damaged? Are you right. okay with the item? So they don't refuse it. So we, right. we reduce refusals, which is which is big. Right, because then, uh, oftentimes the external packaging is damaged. Yes. They refuse it. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the internal item is... Absolutely. Okay. But then what happens if there's a little scratch on the table? You know, it's not perfect. You spent $1,000 for a ping pong table. You want a perfect table. Right. So what happens if there's a scratch? What would you do, Keith? I bet you would say, no, there's a scratch on this. I didn't buy a used table. I spent good money. I want a new table. I'm refusing it now. This is damaged. I'm not going to sign for it. Please make a notation in your POD app on your phone, Mr. Seco driver. Well, that's when we escalate. And then we'll actually call the customer service department of the retail. So you're an intermediary, customer right. service intermediary. Exactly. The higher the percentage of sales that come from online that is in the total basket of a retailer's uh, pie chart for sales. So this is returns intervention? Is that what this is? Absolutely. Yes. It's so an what are you, intervention. What are you, you going to get me, Brian? I want $500 off this table. Well, I don't know if $500 off is on the table, but... Uh, uh, I saw what you did there. It's yeah, on the, it's yeah, on the pink yeah, table. A little, yeah. yeah, a little, little plan of words, you know. Um, a little punny Friday, but, uh, it, it, you know, the, you'd be surprised, you know, what, what, what can make, in some cases, and this is especially when it comes to uh, upholstered furniture, for example, you know, if there is a tear, um, the retailer will even send a technician out or a repair person to fix it, um, you know, so that, that could be the solution, uh -huh. or, you know, a gift card could be a solution. Uh -huh. There are, there are, right. or, you know, there, there are a number of ways that, right. can, that an issue can be resolved. And there's, there's escalation matrices that kind of decide, you know, the severity of the damage and the issue and the, the happiness of the consumer. And, um, but the whole point is the intervention can have a dramatic impact on, no, I get on it. a retailer's bottom line. So we talked earlier about the retailer uh, with infrastructure, meaning stores, can look at returns as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Let's close the gap. E-commerce returns to the store, although inconvenient sometimes because of time and distance, 
Uh, obviously, it depends upon where you are uh, and your inclination. Are you going back to the store? Or are you a retail store shopper? Uh, can be an opportunity uh, to recapture that uh, customer, enhance the customer experience, uh, and hopefully get get additional uh, purchases. Uh, is that something that is uh, still viable, uh, or are return bars, uh, which are starting to grow, uh, certainly services uh, by yourself and others, UPS and, and, and others are offering uh, return services. Uh, is that more the, nor the norm? I think it's a, a combination, uh, but, but there are two new trends that we are seeing, and one of them involves the partnerships uh, let's say, Keith, you have a bricks-and-mortar operation, but your digital sales are, are soft. And let's say I'm a pure play e-tailer, and I have no bricks-and-mortar infrastructure. Um, you know, in a, in a perfect world, you and I would be talking because we, we can complement each other. Uh, we can, I can have a partnership with you that says all of my customers can return their, our, my items at your stores. And then all of a sudden now you're getting the foot traffic of my clients. But there's branding competition in some cases, right? Or product competition? Listen, it's all bets are off in the retail world today. Right. Uh, Co-branding, stores within stores, uh, anything that uh, retailers can do. Uh, now, of course, it's not like if I were a high-end luxury brand and, and you were uh, kind of, uh, you know, entry level by, by rack rates, right? I mean, that would that would be a different, uh, right. it, it would have to be. That would have to be parity. It would have to be parity. But I think re you see this everywhere now. Retailers are, are trying to figure out, you know, you see, um, you know, you go into a Best Buy today, you go into a Sears still, uh, you, you still have this kind of concept of brands within brands and, uh, and there, there are partnerships that make sense. So, so, you know, to be able to buy something online and, and still have the opportunity to return it at another store, uh, that is, that's, that's interesting. But what we're also seeing, the second trend, the second trend yeah. is uh, related, and this is actually a service that we offer on the parcel side, um, and it's a returns portal that we brand for the customer's brand. So we actually do custom branded tracking portals on the outbound. So we can help them regardless of whether they use UPS, FedEx, Seco, whoever it is. It's branded as their brand. And we even have banner ads that, that, that they click on, the consumers do when they receive the tracking link, that'll take them to other offers and sales. So it, we actually get measured on click-through rates and, and sales from our, our channel, our tracking channel. I mean, it's great. This is, this is the way this industry is changing. Uh, but additionally to that, to be able to provide a returns portal that they can email their customer, it's a link, and they put in their information, and this is the best part. Depending on who the consumer is, what your policies are, where you're selling the item, because if you're selling it in Australia, you may want to monetize the return, meaning they have to pay to return it to you. Uh, and so we, we provide both options. Either they enter in their credit card or PayPal information, or um, everything is prepaid, and they're able to print a label at home and box it up and make it as convenient as possible. Because here's where uh, you, get, you get into another calculation on the return. Let's say you are, you know, 10% of your sales are Canada, 5% are Australia, 5% are the UK. Um, well, that's still 20% of your sales. So what happens when your 30% returns ratio hits in those markets? Um, the consumers, you know, let's say your sales in Australia are going up. But 
to return an item to you, it may take three weeks. You don't know. To get to your DC, to actually get to, oh yeah, here it is, and it's not damaged, and it's the item that they said they were going to return. In that three-week time frame, the consumer has not gotten their money. I want my money. Exactly. So part of our offering is not only providing a returns portal, but then also providing the, the ship to address to be one of our facilities, whether it's in the U.S. or whether it's overseas, so that it gets to us very quickly. We're able to log it into the system that the retailer has access to to see all of their returns. We take photos, we inspect, and once we confirm within a couple of days that indeed this is the item, then the consumer can get their money. So back. you're acting like a returns bar or Absolutely. returns arbitrage. Yeah. You're not actually releasing payment. You're just releasing the information to the retailer or the e-commerce uh, entity to return. Listen, we, we don't want to get into PCI compliance or any anything else involving you know credit card information, especially with uh, the newer GDPR regulations, getting into... Um, you know, yeah. Right. We, Financial information crossing borders. That's that, that that gets tricky. We leave that to the retailer because that's their consumers' um, financial information, mm -hmm. and and you know, there's been enough breaches out there. Um, they they've built enough walls, and they mm -hmm. they there's a lot of security on that. Right. And that right. That's not us. We don't touch that. But anything else involving logistics, absolutely. So, what about these pop-up <clears throat> return bars that are happening here in the states? Do we have them globally, or is it just something endemic to the U.S.? You know, in fact, I think you have uh, more uh, things like lockers, for example, and mm -hmm. kiosks mm -hmm. um, in, in Asia. Uh, I think it is more popular there uh, because in some places, like in China, you actually do have a higher percentage of sales from e-commerce in certain commodities. Mm -hmm. For example, cosmetics. Eighty percent of cosmetics in China are bought online. Mm -hmm. No, they're not bought in the store. That's interesting. Uh, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, you, you do see a higher popularity in, in Asia to some extent in the U.S., but it's uh, um, in Europe, uh, it's especially with consumer electronics, if you wanted to um, return your laptop uh, or even throw your laptop away, it's illegal. You can't. You can't just throw a laptop in the dumpster in Europe anymore or even your cell phone. Um, so they've created an entire... Uh, consumer electronics kind of returns uh, uh, infrastructure. Interesting. Um, that, is it that subsidized by the uh, state entities? or? Uh, I, I think in some countries it is. I think in others it's a little like the UK. It's probably a little bit more uh, enterprise mm -hmm. where, you know, there's opportunities uh, for money because, you know, you can drop. Here in the U.S. it's more like a, a charity. Like they have a box in the corner some places where it says drop your phone off. A lot of money in those old boxes, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, it, it goes to the heart of uh, this, uh, this whole thinking about... Uh, um, uh, end-of-life cycles and um, cradle-to-grave uh, uh, product uh, uh, life chains, basically, you know. So what um, the, the, the manufacturers are being held accountable um, to what happens after the return, which has completely different implications on how you manage uh, procurement, how you manage uh, manufacturing, and ultimately how you manage the returns, the, the returns and supply chain. That's great. Well, thank you, Brian. It's been uh, wonderful discussing these things uh, with you, and we hope to uh, hear from you again soon. Thank you. I'll just close out on this one thing that I've mentioned the word supply chain a lot, but one of the things that we're seeing is a change and a shift, and part of everything we're talking about is a shift towards demand. And the retailers that are changing 
their thinking into a more demand-driven logistics operation, just like, funny enough, your magazine has uh, as a byline <laughs> under the title, is uh, uh, it, those are the companies that we see are growing. They're the companies that are, that are, that are ultimately winning, whether it's the e-commerce game or the retail game or, or whatever it is in the retail world. So, so focusing on the demand side really helps you uh, on the return side. Exactly, because you work your way backwards from there. Uh, and returns becomes an easy part of that equation. Thank you again, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you, Keith. Inbound Logistics Magazine is the information leader in supply chain and logistics management. Start your free print and digital subscription today by visiting bit.ly slash getil. That's bit.ly slash get underscore il and stay ahead of the 3PL game. Inbound Logistics Podcast is a production of Inbound Logistics Magazine. For the most in-depth information around logistics, transportation, and supply chain practices, get your free print and digital subscription at inboundlogistics.com slash subscribe. Connect with us via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for the most current developments in the industry. If you'd like to leave us some feedback or have a topic you'd like to see covered in a future episode, call our dialogue line at 888-878-3247 or leave us an email at podcast at inboundlogistics.com. I'm your host, Jeff Vita. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time here on the Inbound Logistics Podcast.